Hey, we're continuing a series called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And we're dealing with not our tendencies to lie, all right, as humans, which we have a struggle with that. But we're dealing with the lies the devil tells us as a human race, trying to expose them. You know, the power in, uh, in uh, deception really is only powerful when it is hidden and when it's, it's uh, covered up. And so to expose a lie is to bring it into the light and then its power goes away. And I'm going to tell you that, that Satan is a real adversary. He's against us as a human race. He wants to see us uh, live lives that lead to destruction. His number one goal is to make sure you end up in hell, separated from God for all eternity. That's his number one goal. So he would love to deceive you away from believing that there is a God who loves you, that you are a sinner that is uh, stuck in your sin and you need to be rescued. You need salvation through God. And so God has provided his son, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay for your sins so you could be set free, so you could experience forgiveness. Satan's number one goal is to get you not to believe that so you will live your life separated from God, end up separated from him for all eternity. If he can't do that, if he can't succeed there, then he wants to deceive you and lie to you and get you to believe his deception so that you will be ineffective as a follower of Jesus, so that you will be miserable you will live a life that is not reflective of the life God wants you to have. So those are his goals. It's nothing but destruction for you. And so as we expose these lies, it is to uh, allow us as people to be set free from the oppression that he wants us under. And I can tell you right now in our world, Satan's oppression is heavy. It's very heavy. And he's deceiving many. And honestly, all of us are going to fall prey to some of his deception. I know I have in my life. I believe some of his lies. And I've walked down roads that were the wrong way. And I've had to repent of that and come back and get corrected. And we're all going to do that at some level. But what I'm trying to do for us as a church, as God's people, is set us free from the lies and deception. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series, expose these lies. <clears throat> the lie that we're going to deal, deal with today, the first lie that Satan told the human race. It brought us down. It destroyed us in a sense because it caused the curse of sin to be brought onto the earth. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3 today. If you want to turn in your Bible there, you can. But we're going to be focused on this lie. This is the essence of the lie that he told Adam and Eve, and they believed, and they followed uh, his, uh, his deception, right? They, they, they um, believed him. They took the step he wanted them to. Here's the essence of the lie. Following God means missing out. Following God means missing out. Now, I wonder what your idea is of fun. What's your idea of a good time? When I was 18 years old, um, I went to college. I graduated high school, went off to college. And uh, I had grown up in a Christian home. I had trusted Christ as a young man, about five years old. And, and I lived for God for some of my childhood years. And for other parts of it, I had lived in rebellion and walked away from him and did what I wanted. And so uh, when I was 18, I knew I needed to go to a Bible school and I needed to get this figured out. I needed to get my relationship with God figured out. And so um, I went off to a Bible school in Omaha. It's called Grace College of the Bible. And, uh, um, and so I went there. And the first week, there was a guy that got up and spoke. He was a powerful preacher and evangelist. And he called us as students to make a decision to follow Jesus 100%. Leave the past behind and go all in on following God. And, you know, I'd never done this before. I'd had opportunities to get up and go forward in an altar call, but man, I got up and went forward when the call was given and, and this call to 100% commitment because I knew I needed to do this, right? <clears throat> so, 
So this is where I'm at. Following Jesus 100%. I'm also an 18-year-old young man who is away from home for the first time in my life. And I've got a bunch of buddies, all right, that I get to know. They're in my dorm. And all of us are kind of, hey, we're following God and we're excited about this. And we're also young men. We like to have a good time. And so we start doing stuff in our dorm, usually later at night. That was fun. Now I'm in a Bible school. So our fun didn't involve going out and partying and drinking and stuff. Some of you are going to kind of roll your eyes at what we did. But listen, this was our fun. So one of the things we thought was fun was we lived in an old hospital building and it had these solid wooden doors that were real heavy. And we figured out somebody planted this idea from years before. But anyway, we could take pennies and we could jam pennies in between the door and the door frame and we could lock a guy in his room. And so he'd get up in the morning late for class. We always pick these guys. He'd be late for class, rushing around, he'd get to the door and he couldn't get out. <clears throat> that was kind of funny. And then we also like take a, a, a manila envelope and fill it with shaving cream and stick the open end under the door because there was room under the door and then drop a book on it and it would just spray shaving cream into his room. I mean, come on, that was pretty good. <laughs> we had one guy that was a little bit of a irritation to us. We thought he needed a lesson. So one night we took him out and duct taped him to a telephone pole. All right, we thought this was fun, but we had a dean of men. He didn't think it was funny. Dr. Dirks thought we were being unruly, rebellious young men. And so it was his job to lean on us, get us to line up with the rules. Today, we want to expose this lie of Satan that revolves around our um, adherence to and our perspective on the rules that God really places over us. You know, we all struggle with, at some level with following the rules. Even the best rule followers that I know, and I'm kind of married to a rule follower. Listen, the best rule followers, obviously, you know, I'm not one, but I've exposed that today. But the rule followers, even the best, under pressure, they will still break the rules. Now, they'll never admit it. And the best rule followers become the rule makers. <laughs> so they're really the ones imposing the rules. They're the really smart ones. But the truth is we all struggle in some way to follow the rules. Yet we need to. Dr. Dirks was correct in punishing us and fining us and making us do community service to get us in line so we would follow the rules. And we needed to adjust. And most of us did adjust eventually. But we all struggle with this. We get this sense of rebellion or pushing back against the rules. We get it honestly because our parents, Adam and Eve, also had this struggle. And we're really going to see today how they chose to rebel against the rule. And there was only one that God gave them. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden. They were given a perfect place to live. It was full of trees that had fruit that was wonderful the best food that you could imagine. And they had so much of it, they couldn't eat all of it, right? It was just overwhelming, the opportunity, the, the good food they had to eat. And yet there was one tree that was placed in the garden. It was kind of two that they were supposed to stay away from, but there's one specifically that they were told to stay away from, not even touch. They were given a rule. Now, in this series, we've looked at the reason that there needed to be a rule. You know, people struggle with this. If there's a good God who's all perfect and he's good, he's loving, then why does evil exist? 
Why does pain exist? Why do we have to suffer? And all of us at some level struggle with this. We wrestle with this issue. I guarantee you have gone through something in your life. You've said, God, why am I going through this? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. Well, we need to step back for a minute and understand God's purpose in creation. The reason God created us as human beings, he made us in his image, was because he wanted a creature, a being, that that he could have a relationship with, a real relationship with, that was by, um, by choice. And so he created us with the capacity to choose. And it's very important to understand that, because if you don't understand that God's design and creation wasn't to create a bunch of robots who would do, always do the right thing by his demand or control, if you think that that's what he should have done, or if you think that, you know, because there's a good God, and he's all perfect, there should be no evil, that's really what you would, you're asking for. Is you're asking for a earth filled with basically the highest level of creation would have been an animal, because animals live by instinct. They do what they're designed to do. They don't make choices. And so this level of uh, a being that we represent, made in God's image, we had to have will. We had to have the ability to choose. And that choice had to be tested. Remember, Adam and Eve are put in a garden. They're, they're innocent and untested. The test of character was important because in order to be uh, creation, right, made in God's image and have a relationship with God, it has to be by choice. And we have to pass a test of our character. And the truth is we all undergo the same test. And it's a requirement because we must by choice, move towards God. He's not going to make you. God is not going to force you, right? Now, there'll be a day when we're judged where there will be a, I mean, we'll be forced in a sense to acknowledge who God is. I mean, the, the Bible says there'll be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's going to be an acknowledgement of it and you won't have a choice at that point because he's going to, you're going to be required by the, the, the just the, the reality of his being and who he is. But right now he's giving you a choice. He's giving you the ability to choose. And the test of this life is, can you come to the realization that God exists and that he's good and he created you and he wants nothing but good for you and he's offering you life? Will you pass that test? In Genesis chapter two, we see the test given to Adam and Eve. We see that God created again uh, the earth there was no rain on the earth. The earth was watered by, um, from the ground, springs that came up from the ground. And there were four major rivers that were, um, that were uh, comprised in this area where the Garden of Eden was placed. If you want to read up on this, it's Genesis chapter 2. But ultimately, Genesis 2, 15 and through 17 says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So the test is laid out. Something to note. This is before Eve has been created. God gives the instruction to Adam. He gives the rule to Adam. It's Adam's job to communicate this rule to Eve after God creates her and to enforce it and to make sure that the two of them are following God's instructions. It's a good understanding of how God intends for your family to operate. That God has given you men the responsibility to know what God's rules are, what his instructions are, and to make sure your family's following them. 
Of course, you first have to be following them in order to get your family to. But you're responsible for this. But as we look at Satan's strategy here today, we've looked at different strategies. This one is a little different. Satan is going to come to Eve in this case. And he's going to come in a way that disarms her. It throws her off. She's, she's not alarmed at his presence. You know how women are typically alert to danger. Some men are too, but women really pick up on it. Right? And so uh, Satan is going to come. Now Satan is the enemy of the human race. He's the enemy. He's a wicked and evil being. And yet he's going to come in a way that Eve does not recognize the danger. Sure, her spidey senses, right? Her, her uh, intuition is not going to go off. And you need to understand that as Satan comes to you, he's going to use the same tactic. He's going to come in a way that you're not going to be alerted to the fact that this is a lie of Satan. That he's the one presenting uh, these things to you. He's the one having the conversation. You're, you're going to be disarmed because Satan's first tactic is Satan will disarm you. Let's look in Genesis 3 and just read the beginning of this interaction. Verse 1, as the test is given. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So Satan takes the form of a serpent. Now, we get the idea from this interaction that the serpent was an animal she was familiar with. She, it was one of the animals that they were caring for in the garden. Um, we know that Satan is taking the form of the serpent. He's in, he has embodied the serpent. He's the one speaking here. We know that because the New Testament makes that clear. <clears throat> Book of Revelation and others where it's identified that Satan is the one involved here. But the serpent is the form he takes and Eve wasn't scared of the serpent. I know ladies, you're like, how in the world could he? <laughs> How could she not have been scared of the serpent? Well, if you read the account in Genesis, part of the curse is that snakes and people don't get along anymore. <laughs> There's a fear that's implanted there because of this. But, but the serpent is not someone she's concerned with. Now, the serpent also speaks to her, which has said, led some people to think that perhaps animals were able to speak, or at least humans could understand some level of communication with them. Because how in the world does the serpent speak to her and have this conversation? And again, she's not really thrown off by it. Now, I know people that today still think they can understand animals. Maybe you know somebody like that. They think their dogs are talking to them. Their horses communicate with them. Okay, I'll be honest. I've tended to not really be in that camp. You know, I'm like, no, come on. You're just putting thoughts into your animal's head. You think you know, but it's really just you that's... But then I heard this story that kind of challenged that. And so it's really made me rethink my whole position on that. There was an atheist that was out in the woods. He was out in nature. He's going for a hike. And he just was enjoying the beautiful forest. He was enjoying the beautiful creek that was flowing and the sound of the wonderful animals. Now, of course, he thought all of this came about by accident. He didn't believe in God. And so he's out in creation, just marveling at it, enjoying it, at the same time, not giving any credit to God for it because he was an atheist. Well, all of a sudden, there was a rustling in the bushes and a seven-foot grizzly bear comes up out of, the, out of the bushes, just roaring and furious and begins to come at him at full speed. Now, this guy was middle-aged, kind of beyond his prime, but he had been an athlete. And so he takes off running at top speed, probably faster than most of us could have run. And so um, he's running fast. He looks behind him, though, and the bear is still gaining. And so somehow 
he finds that gear that he had when he was in his 30s. He kicks it in and he runs even faster. And he's going really fast. And at this point, it's like, I should be gaining on this. He looks behind him, that bear's still gaining. And so, I mean, the adrenaline and all the fear and everything, he just digs down deep. And somehow he finds that gear that he had when he was 20. And he is flying. I mean, he's flying through the woods. He was fast. And he looks behind him, boy, that bear is still coming on. So, I mean, he's going as fast as he can, as you can imagine, flying through the woods. And all of a sudden he trips on a branch. He falls flat on his back and that bear's on top of him. Bear raises his arm to just, you know, to, to swipe at him and kill him. And in that moment, this guy goes, God, please help me. Well, everything stops. The creek stops flowing. The birds stop chirping. The wind stops blowing. And that bear freezes in place. And a bright light shines down on him in his eyes. And a voice says, you have, let me get this straight. You have not believed in me your whole life. In fact, you've taught other people I don't exist. And now in a moment of weakness, because your life's on the line, you're calling out to me for help. Am I to believe you've become a believer? you become a Christian? And the guy goes, well, you know, it's probably true. Probably not very honest of me or consistent of me in a moment where my life's on the line, go against everything I've lived my whole life for. So I probably shouldn't become a Christian. But how about if you can make the bear a Christian? And God goes, okay. And so the light pulls away and the creek starts flowing, the wind starts blowing, the birds start chirping, and the bear who is poised over him, ready to swipe him, pulls back, drops his paw to his side, folds his hands, says, God, thank you for this meal I'm about to enjoy. <laughs> So maybe animals can talk, I don't know. <laughs> hey, listen, when the, when the devil comes to deceive you, what he said to Eve is what he's gonna do to you. Remember, the devil is lying. We know he's lying because his lips are moving. And so when the devil says anything to you, it's gonna be a lie, it's gonna be a deception. And so, of course, what he says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat any fruit of any of the trees in the garden? It's a lie, it's deception. When he comes to you, he might say something like this. Did God really say that you have to abstain from sex in order to be a Christian? Did he say you couldn't have sex at all? Did God really say that you've got to hate gay people and be opposed to gay marriage to be a Christian? Did God really say that you must be against women's rights, women's reproductive rights uh, and, and hate women in order to be a Christian? Did God really say you've got to be okay with all the wrongs that people have done to you in order to be a Christian? Did God really say that a Christian can't ever get divorced for any reason. Now there's a bunch of others I could list. I could stand here all day and go down the lies, but those are just a few that you probably are gonna have to interact with. You probably um, heard in some fashion, but that's the way it's gonna sound because the devil's gonna come. He's gonna disarm you with who it is that he's gonna speak through, where the lie's gonna come from. You're not gonna think it's him. And he's gonna say something in a ridiculous way. And what he's trying to do is to engage you in a conversation. He's trying to get you talking. He's trying to get you thinking. So Satan is going to try to get you talking. He's going to try to get you thinking about a subject and a topic that God has spoken to, that orients around some rule that God has given. In Genesis 3, verses 2 through 3, this is how it goes with Eve. Eve replies, 
Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Okay, so Eve gets tested here. You know, I would love to encourage you that if Satan approaches you or someone approaches you with something that's clearly not true, and they're going to bring this test on you, you know, they're going to present this idea, did God really say, you know, and, uh, and they're going to cause you to, to be challenged in your view of God. I would love to encourage you to do what Jesus did last week in our, in our lesson. And that was, Jesus said, get away from me, Satan, get out of here. I would love to have you do that. I would love to encourage you to do that. The problem with this particular test is that it's required that you go through it. The requirement is that you engage because this test, these tests and many other tests are going to be given to you as you go through this life. And what's required of Eve here is that she actually knows what the command of God is. She actually knows what it is. And so the test for you and for me is to know what the word of God says to know what God's instructions are on these topics and others, because there's a lot that we face in our world and, and God is being challenged all over the place. It always has been, but I think in a very intense way in our, in our world today. So there's topics that you just, you just may not know what the Bible says, but I'm telling you, it's your job to know what the rules are. What are God's instructions? Eve knew because Adam took it seriously to make sure she knew. And good job, Adam, right? He did pass on the information. He made sure that Eve knew what the rules were, what the, what the instruction was. And Eve really is into this. She believes it. Uh, she's embodied it. She's embraced it. And so there's a sense of this in her. Now, I want for you guys, when you hear these, when these things are said in our world, when you see them online, when you hear them from coworkers, when somebody that, that says they're a Christian, right? And that they, even somebody says they're a pastor or a preacher, like they're gonna say this stuff. And they're going to challenge, in a sense, what God says. I want you to be able to pass the test. I want you to know what God says. What are God's instructions? Remember, Satan wants to destroy you. It's all he's after. God wants to give you life. He wants you to have fullness of life. He wants to protect you. God created you. He loves you. He wants to make sure that you are protected from the effects of sin and evil. And so just remember, when you're looking for these instructions, when you're deciding who to listen to, that's the choice. That, that's what's behind the choice. The information. I was you to try to teach my kids, man, you're going to hear all kinds of messages in the world. What's the motivation of the person telling you? What's their motivation? That has a lot to do with whether you should listen to them or not. The problem is Satan is going to get Eve to the place where she falls for the lie, which is that following God means you're going to miss out on something in life. Satan wants to get you talking. He does that with Eve. Here are some of the conversations that the devil will engage you in, right? Like I said, the first one, did God really say you can't have sex at all in order to be a Christian? Is sex dirty and nasty? You know, is it this dirty thing? It seems like what Christians think and what the Bible says. Well, the answer to that is no. God actually created human beings with a sexuality. He, he intended for them to uh, engage in that. And it would appear, based on how it goes, it was intended to be pretty enjoyable. So God's not against it. It's not dirty and nasty. It's something that he actually created and is for. So no, God didn't say we can't have sex at all. But God did say 
the only place where human beings should interact sexually is inside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Matthew, or excuse me, Genesis chapter two, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The order is a man finds a, wife, uh, finds a woman, uh, he uh, dates and courts her, then he asks her for her hand in marriage, then he leaves his family, they get married, and then they consummate the marriage uh, physically. That is the order here. And it's, it's um, backed up by Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew. That's the right answer. Second one, did God really say you must hate gay people and be against gay marriage to be a Christian? Well, the correct answer there is, well, no, God didn't ask us to hate anyone. <laughs> Actually, the command of Jesus is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we're commanded by God to love our neighbor. And the who is my neighbor question, which the disciples asked, was answered by the story of the Good Samaritan. So it's anyone in need. So there's no qualifier on who it is we're supposed to love. We are called to love everyone. Every human being is made in the image of God, created by God. And so we don't really have a choice to not love the people that God loves. So yeah, no, we're not called to hate anybody. But when it comes to homosexuality, well, yeah, God says it's a sin. That homosexual sexual activity is a sin. Romans Chapter 1, 26 and 27. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. There's no way to wiggle out of that. I know people try. There's no way. It's very clear. Okay, next question. Did God really say you must be against women and their reproductive rights in order to be a Christian? Well, the correct answer there is that God is the creator of all life. And that God is a part of the procreative process of a child developing in the womb. He's a part of that from the very instant that the sperm and the egg unite. He is a part of this process. And that he loves women and created them to be mothers. It's the truth. And so this is supported by the Bible and science, by the way, but in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Listen, every day of my life, which obviously because of the text started in the womb, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God is the originator of life. He's a creator. And whether you were, um, whether he, it was Adam and Eve that he created, Adam out of the dust of the earth, right? Eve, he created from a rib, <laughs> or it's everybody else that's ever come into being, which has come through a woman, right? The ma a man and a woman, that process of procreation. Every life originates from God, and he's a part of the, um, the creation of every person. 
And so this is important to understand. It's the nature of it. It's a reality. Okay, so next question. Did God say you must be okay with all the wrongs people have done against you? Well, no. The Bible doesn't say I have to be okay with it when people hurt me, when they sin against me, when they treat me wrong. It doesn't say I have to be okay with it. But the Bible does talk about the essential nature of forgiveness. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, included these instructions. And forgive us our sins. Remember, you're talking to God here. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So the implication is, before I come to God and ask for his forgiveness, I've already forgiven the people that sinned against me. And there's no qualifier on that sin. There aren't certain sins I don't have to forgive. There's not certain wrongs I don't have to forgive. I must forgive every sin that's been done against me. And he goes on in verse 14 and 15 to say it this way. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, then your father will not forgive your sins. That's, that's the instructions from God. So we don't have to be okay with the wrongs that have been done against me. But I absolutely have to forgive everyone who has sinned against me. So the last one here, did God really say a Christian cannot get divorced for any reason? Well, what does the Bible say about divorce? Well, Jesus, in his teaching on divorce, reminded the Jewish nation that he came to, who was divorcing for any and every reason, if a guy didn't like the way his wife cooked, he'd divorce her. It was absolutely ridiculous the way they were living. He said to them, he reminded them that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. He said the only reason legitimately you can divorce uh, your spouse is be- because they've committed adultery. As they went outside the marriage, then God will release you from that contract, that covenant, right? And then in the New Testament, we see Paul engage this idea of divorce with Christians. And he said, listen, if you're married to somebody, you're married to a non-Christian and they want to stay married to you, then stay married to them. If you're married to somebody that's not a Christian and they want to leave, and this happens because somebody's become a Christian, they're following Jesus, the other person just doesn't want anything to do with it, And they go, hey, I don't want to be married to you anymore. He goes, then you're released. Let him go. And so, you know, is it true that Christians can't get divorced for any reason? No, it's not true. There are legitimate reasons, but we need to understand what the Bible says and what God's instruction on it is. It's important. And so know what the Bible says about these things. The next trick that Satan will apply to the lie about what God says and the way he does it is this. Satan is going to question God's motives. He's not going to just try to get you to question God's motives. He's going to question God's motives. Satan will question God's motives. Genesis chapter three, let's look at the next two verses. This is Satan's reply to Eve. So first he says, is this what God says? And it's this crazy uh, outlandish statement. Then Eve knows what God says. So she correctly regurgitates the rule from God. And then Satan, this is his response. Remember Eve said, We can't touch, we can eat from any tree. We can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, even if we touch it, we'll die. Satan's response in Genesis 3, verse 4. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. In fact, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The devil says, God's not telling you the truth. You're not going to die. So he challenges God's direct implication of their sin or of breaking the rule. You're not going to die. In fact, God knows you're going to gain some of his power. You're going to gain something. 
and you're going to be better for it. Your life's going to be enhanced. You're going to have more power. You're going to have more. God is just trying to keep you from something that is going to enhance your life. It's going to make things better. Do you hear that lie? Believing God, following God means I'm going to miss out. This is what he, the implication of what Satan is saying. When the devil says, is it true you can't have sex uh, as a Christian at all? And then you say, well, no, I can have sexual relations. It's just inside of marriage. It's the only place. Then the devil comes and says something like this. You know, marriage is just a man-made institution, right? You know that in reality, sexual relations are important for any relationship. And if you really want to make sure your relationship's going to work, you need to make sure you're compatible in that area. What a ridiculous idea that you would go into a lifelong relationship you're bound to and you can't get out of. And such an important arena as sex, you're not even going to, you're not even going to uh, see how it works. <laughs> That's ridiculous. God, God knows that you're actually going to gain knowledge. Don't you know that half of the marriages end in divorce? And God says that's wrong. So you need to do, take every opportunity to make sure your relationship is going to work. And this is an important part of it. It's essential that you have a successful marriage and to know you're compatible. So really, you need to set aside this rule. It's really not what's best for you. The devil's lie on homosexual sex. Okay. It's not going to kill anybody. It's just the relationship. It's relations. And two people that love each other, right, that consensually want to come together, two adults that love each other, God knows love is good. In fact, he wants everyone to be loved and to be in a loving relationship. So two people of the same gender can have the same kind of love and companionship and relationship as people of the opposite gender. God knows that really this isn't, he's not telling the truth about what happens if people engage in this. It's different today than it was when the Bible was written. Things have changed a lot. We've discovered a lot of new information. And now we're encouraging uh, gay people to get married and God's for marriage. How could you be against it? Seems like you just hate gay people if you're gonna say this is wrong. It's kind of how it sounds, right? How about the lie on abortion? The devil could say something like this. Life doesn't begin until it's viable outside the womb. If you do this early enough in the, in the pregnancy, if you terminate the pregnancy early enough, you're, it's really just a blob of tissue. It hasn't yet become a person. You're really not doing anything that bad. And remember this, how bad is it for a baby to come into the world that's unwanted and unloved? Does God want that? That seems cruel and unusual. God would never be for that. So, I mean, honestly, because it's so early on, and okay, maybe I'll give you the fact that after a certain amount of time, the heartbeat starts and stuff like that, but, but before that, there really is no harm being done. In fact, a woman is going to be saddled with this uh, disadvantage in life to have a baby. She's not going to be able to go on and have a full life. And so really, this is a good thing. There's no harm in it, and you need to accept it as okay. How about the devil's lie on forgiveness? Well, God knows that if you forgive them for what they did to you, that they're going to think it's okay what they did to you. And you could create a monster in a person that's running around hurting people 
and they think it's okay because every, you just forgave them for it. What you really need to do is demand that they come to the place of repentance where they apologize for what they've done and they mean it. And apology just are just words. They need to mean it and you need to see a reflection of a heart change in them before you forgive. You need to make sure that they pay for what they did or you'll never be freed from the pain that you carry. That's kind of how the devil's lie on forgiveness sounds. And how about the lie on divorce? Well, God knows that you're miserable. You're in a miserable marriage. There was never any love in it. You never loved each other. And so uh, you're in misery, you're in pain. And the truth is God would never want that for you. What God wants is for you to be in a loving relationship where you have some measure of happiness in your life. And for you to stay in this marriage is not gonna produce that. And so really you need to get out of it in order to get into a loving relationship. That's really what God would want you to do. Listen, if we listen to these lies and all of those are lies, they go in direct contradiction to what God's intention for us is in all of these arenas, what his teaching from scripture is. If we listen, we are allowing this appeal to our fear of missing out. We're allowing ourselves to be played into by this, uh, this appeal, this desire in us, this fear that we have. You guys know that, that uh, there's a whole culture, there's a whole saying, um, uh, the fear of missing out um, is a real thing. And so uh, this is not new. It's been around from the beginning of time. Genesis chapter three, verses six and seven. What happens as a result of the devil's lie and his uh, appeal to Eve? Well, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that would, it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Okay, I want you to know today, I'm not uh, trying to bring any condemnation, not trying to beat you up over something that you've done in the past that might fall into one of these areas where you, maybe you listened and believed one of these lies and you stepped in. I just wanna remind you that Adam and Eve had the opportunity to get right with God. God didn't just give up on them, okay? God began immediately to move, to save the human race, to fix the damage of sin. So I'm not bringing any condemnation. I'm not trying to beat anybody up for any of these things. I'm trying to expose the lies that we hear, the way it sounds and what the truth is so that we know, you know, uh, can God fix any of these issues that we may have lived according to? Well, sure. I mean, what about the, the sex outside of marriage one, right? A lot of us have listened to that. A lot of us have engaged in that. I mean, I know the truth is that anybody who did that is gonna have some struggles in their marriage. I've talked to enough people, I know how it works. There's really no way around that. But here's also the truth. God can bring healing to your marriage. He can fix those things. It's not irrevocable. It's not like I'm sitting here going, you know, but what I want us to do <laughs> as the people who represent God in this world, we're supposed to be salt and light. I want you and I to be speaking the truth into our culture. So that as we engage people who are struggling with these issues, we're not saying the truth or, or counseling them out of what we've done, but we're encouraging them uh, around the truth of God's word. And so, you know, Satan's lie that it's really an advantage to have, uh, to live together, sleep together before you get married, that you're really gonna gain some insight and some knowledge. Young people, can I just tell you that I don't know anybody that's done that? 
that hasn't had to get help in healing from those wounds. Because the truth is it's damaging. Remember, Satan's lie is to bring destruction to you. He wants your marriage to fail. He wants your life to fail. God's instructions are to protect you and to help you be successful in every area of life. Uh, Certainly God cares about your relationships. He cares about your marriage. And again, he can bring healing, but I want to encourage you. What he's saying is true. Reserve sex, protect sex for inside of a marriage relationship. Waiting on it is not a disadvantage. In fact, when you wait, it actually is better because you have trust. You trust each other, you believe each other, and you know that you've done what's right before God. When it comes to homosexuality, this idea that, that God, you know, it really doesn't matter. They're two loving people that love each other. It's love at the core. Yeah, that sounds really good. But the truth is that that activity is still going to bring destruction. It does not work. <laughs> and just because we're in 2022 and we think we're way beyond anything the Bible teaches, oh no, it's a new day. It's ridiculous. It's the same stuff. It's going to bring the same destruction. You're not going to be able to walk down that path without um, experiencing pain. It's not going to deliver the happiness that you think you wanted. When it comes to abortion, we have seen in our country the devastating effects. There's a whole generation of women that understand that abortion is not a victimless thing because they've had to deal with the pain and guilt of going through that. It's devastating to women. And certainly it's taken the lives of a whole generation. And, you know, we have these exceptions that we, we claim. Life of the mother, incest, rape. I've argued with people, I've asked the question, and maybe somebody here will correct me, but I'm not sure when it was ever illegal to terminate the life of a baby if the life of the mother was in danger and they did, the medical professionals along with the family determined that's what they need to do. I don't know when that was illegal, but it's been presented as though it was. It's this huge crisis that we need to make sure that abortion is legal for that. I think that's a straw man argument. It's not real. And then incest and rape, of course, those are incredibly sensitive issues that certainly a woman needs to get counsel on. But I think it's fair to counsel women about, you know, the fact that you went through a trauma to then take the life of your baby isn't necessarily going to fix that trauma. We need to be honest about this stuff and speak the truth when we counsel people as they make these decisions. It isn't to mean that there's never a reason to, uh, to take the life of a child. I don't believe that. I just think we need to wrestle with and grapple with the truth. And I certainly know many stories of women who were counseled to abort their baby and they didn't do it. And the child lived and the mother lived and God blessed them through that decision. Doesn't mean that always is going to happen. But I just think we need to speak the truth about this and consider carefully before we make decisions. Forgiveness. The devil would love for you to hold on to the idea of justice and demand justice instead of forgiving. And to believe this idea, and it's a lie, that if you forgive somebody, you're justifying or saying it was okay what they did. This holds a lot of us back from forgiveness. But the truth is God commands us to forgive. And then how we deal with the person and what they did and how we seek justice or allow justice to happen is important. But the truth is most of us go after revenge, not justice. How about divorce? Well, is there reasons for the divorce? Yeah. There's situations that just can't be fixed. There's people in this world that are crazy, narcissistic, and they won't stop, and they're abusive, and they, they just create a horrible environment. It doesn't seem like that can be fixed, and I get that. But that's like a small percentage of our issue with marriage. Most of the time, 
we use divorce and we trump up a case because we want to, but we want to get out of a marriage because we don't want to fight through it. And we don't want to allow God to do miracles in it. And that's really where we should be. And as we counsel people in our world, that's what we should be encouraging them. There's a God who loves you. He loves your marriage and he's going to do and can do miracles if you will move towards him. All right. There's a lot. I know. Tough. I know. Look, man, these, these are real issues, right? It's a real world we live in. And, and Satan's influence is heavy and strong. And it creeps into the church. He gets us with these things. And I want to empower us with the truth, with confidence in it, and the knowledge that God's way is always right. It's always best. Trust him. Surrender to his plan. If you don't get it and you're struggling with it, don't just discard it. Say, God, help me get this. Help me understand what you're saying here. I want to believe you. I want to trust you. And as we're salt and light in the world, you know, there's, there's internet influencers, right? They're paid to influence people in directions. You are God's influencers. You are, you are, you've been saved so that you can speak the truth in love in a world that needs it desperately. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for calling us into your family, revealing the truth to us about who you are. And God, I know you want us to be uh, this, this group of influencers, salt and light in a world that needs the truth. They're dying because of these lies. God, I pray you'd rescue us. Help us to come in line with who you are and why you have the rules you have, why you've imposed them and it's for our good. It's because you love us. Help us to trust you more, to believe you more and to understand the devil's um, desire is only to destroy us. It's not to make us happy. God, help us to get over this fear of missing out and just trust you and know that really you're gonna give us more than anything. You're gonna give us more than we could have any other place than if we'll follow you. Pray all this in Jesus' name.